for joining me for the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm your host, Howie Jacobson. I confess, when I was pitched this interview as a medical doctor working for a medical device company that does continuous glucose monitoring, I thought, I can't imagine anything more boring. And all I will say is that not only was I pleasantly surprised, I was actually like totally jolted out of my natural cynicism about continuous glucose monitoring, about quantified life, about using high tech instead of simply eating a healthy whole foods plant based diet that we know can be good for us and reverse most disease. But Dr. Casey means got me so excited about this idea of continuous glucose monitor, even for me, who is not diabetic or pre-diabetic or worried about my blood glucose levels at all. She convinced me that maybe I should be and maybe there's something to be learned from a month of noticing what foods affect me in different ways. So I've been highly critical of this idea of bioindividuality because it's been wielded as a weapon by people saying, well, everybody eats differently. Therefore, I should be carnivore and you should be keto and they should be Mediterranean and the other person should be vegan. And, you know, there's all these different dietary patterns for human beings and they're all equally valid, which is, of course, ridiculous. And it's also true that we are different and that, you know, the way I process a potato or a banana might be different from the way you process a potato or a banana. And so I was throwing out a lot of baby with some bathwater there. So in this conversation, Dr. Casey Means and I discuss why glucose monitoring could be important, why it could be an incredibly important uh, predictor of a whole host of health outcomes, and also the implications, and this is kind of where I wanted to geek out, the implications of really fast objective feedback for changing behaviors. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I do. And at the end, you can hear about if you want to try this um, for yourself, there's a, a 60,000 person waiting list. But Dr. Means graciously gave me a link, which will be in the show notes for today's episode, which is plantyourself.com slash 443, where you can skip that line if you are interested in trying this out for yourself. All right. Without further ado, Dr. Casey Means, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thrilled to be here. Yeah, let's let's get right into it. Um, you, um, you're—I don't know if you're the founder or co-founder or chief medical officer or all three. Tell, tell like two of those three. I'm co-founder and chief medical officer of Levels. Okay, Levels. So tell us about Levels. Yeah, absolutely. So um, simply put, Levels is a program that breaks the mystery of trying to guess what the perfect diet is, and we do this by empowering people with real-time continuous metabolic data to understand how food is affecting their individual bodies. So <clears throat> our company, uh, our, our, sorry, our members um, receive a continuous glucose monitor. So this is a tiny wearable sensor that goes on the back of the arm and it tracks our blood sugar in real time. And it, it actually takes a reading of your blood sugar <clears throat> every 15 minutes and sends that information to your smartphone. And then we build a software that makes that data stream really interpretable. So you can really learn exactly what foods and what lifestyle activities are, are right for your body. So you can kind of think of it like a Fitbit for glucose, but um, you know, there are a lot of loud voices in the nutrition space these days. There's like people saying, you've got to be carnivore, you've got to be vegan, you've got to be keto. But the reality is that there's probably no one size fits all diet for everyone. And and what we do know is that people are healthier when their glucose is low and stable, and we are less healthy, healthy when glucose is spiking all over the place. Um, we know that that spikiness and, and, you know, high values after meals over time can lead people to have problems with regulating their blood sugar. And this is foundationally at the root of many, many, many chronic diseases that are associated with metabolic disease. So, um, yeah. So this is, this is our product and, and we really are excited because it's, it's actually the first time that anyone's ever had closed loop data on nutrition. This is notoriously an open loop system where so you can, oh, yeah. yeah, define, define what you mean by open and closed loop. Yeah. So open loop systems are where you make a choice and then it is very unclear what the outcome is. It's very hard to attribute a one-to-one -one relationship between a choice so, and an action. So that's like life. 
It is in many cases like life, but, but if you look at sort of behavior change research, a lot of there's, there's a suggestion that the closer you can link an action with a reaction, like a a very small action within a, with a temporal reaction, that actually is very useful for us in terms of categorizing and helping understand the implications of what uh, we're doing. So for instance, you get on the treadmill and you have a heart rate monitor on, um, and you know, you see that your heart rate goes up to 170. That is a clear indication that you're at probably more of the strenuous end of your workout. You're pushing almost as hard as you can. So it takes away the subjectivity of like, well, you know, am I going hard? Is this enough? And some of that, some of that noise, I mean, while we should definitely listen to our bodies and what our bodies are saying, sometimes that little extra push of knowing where we are objectively can be very helpful in sort of understanding. We've never really had something like that for nutrition. We've had it for sleep as well. Um, we've had sleep monitors that tell us when we wake up, you know, you had this much deep sleep, this much REM, this is the time that you were in bed. This is the time that you were actually asleep. And that is helpful. Closed loop feedback. Um, people could say, Oh, but you just can know whether you're tired or not. And why not just focus on that? But the reality is if we, you know, get a bad night's sleep, we might be fine the next day. We compensate, we have an extra cup of coffee. We kind of push through. Um, but if that happens night after night after night, you know, you will end up having health problems. And so having that tracking and closing that loop early in each sort of day can help you just make slightly different decisions the next day before maybe your body like catches up and realizes subjectively that you're actually having a problem. So mm-hmm. in a right. lot well, of ways, like I think- if- yeah, it's like check, you know, logging onto your bank account and seeing a really low balance before the moving truck comes up to like repossess your furniture. Right. Exactly. So that's so it's nice to have that for nutrition. You can imagine, you know, an example, for instance, in a lot of people who have used continuous glucose monitoring is is breakfast. They a lot of people have high carb, high refined carb, high refined sugar breakfast, because those are often marketed as normal, things like cereal and a pastry or even uh, instant oatmeal. And so you'll see people who have their instant oatmeal with a continuous glucose monitor on and they see their glucose skyrocket, like up to potentially pre-diabetic or diabetic levels. And then when that happens, it usually comes crashing down afterwards because your body compensates to get all that glucose out of the bloodstream and it can crash. And that's a process uh, called a sort of hyperglycemic spike and a reactive hypoglycemia episode. And a lot of people will have been eating this breakfast for years because of the box says it's heart healthy and the box says it's got a, you know a good source of fiber. So they think it's healthy, but for their particular body, it's actually not. There's those types of spikes are never healthy. And then they realize, oh, every morning around 11 a.m., I feel like I need a second cup of coffee and I feel tired. And I've always just thought that's because it's my mid-morning slump and that's just what happens. And I, you know, my coffee's not strong enough and I'm not getting enough sleep. So when you can actually attribute an action to a reaction, the reaction being that you had a spike and you subjectively felt crappy and realize and not misattribute it to actually say this was related to the food I ate and then change that. That's really empowering. And that closed loop feedback between uh, an action, objective data and a subjective experience, I think is really at the core Mm -hmm. of sustainable behavior change. Gotcha. Because, you know, in my community, sort of, you know, the healthy, whole food, plant-based community, there have been lots of books about how to eat. And there's been a movement to try to simplify it, to say, like, you know, because people think, oh, well, eating plant-based is so complicated. And there's a lot of media about you've got to, you know, have this so many grams of this and complementary proteins and stuff that we know is is really outdated. But so, like, the people say, well... um, the most important thing, like, where do you get your fiber? Get, you know, 30 grams of fiber a day or whatever, but it's still all talking about inputs. And it sounds like what you're talking about is here's an output measure that actually correlates with long-term health, as opposed to like, we're simplifying it by saying that this one measurement is a you know, it may not be the only thing we care about, but it's a really good marker for lots of bad stuff that could happen down the line. Is that roughly right? That's exactly right. And I think that the whole foods plant-based, I'm whole foods plant-based as well. And, and I practice, uh, you know, nutritional medicine and I, you know, what I've, some of the things I've discovered from using this product and building this product is that even things that we think are healthy, even within whole foods, plant-based, which arguably, you know, from my perspective is, is 
as healthy as it gets, it's unrefined, you know, you're not getting the refined carbs and sugar, you're getting whole foods. There's actually still ways that you can optimize that. I think with this type of feedback, for instance, so eating what I would call a naked carb, which is just a carbohydrate source all by itself. So like a big plate of sweet potato or a bunch of fruit altogether, those are healthy foods. Unquestionably, they have many compounds in them that are going to be very useful for our health. But when eaten alone, they can actually, or at the, at the wrong time of the day, um, or in the context of being very sedentary that day, you could have a completely different response than if you pair them differently. For instance, if you pair the carbohydrate with a protein, fat, or fiber source, um, or if you make sure that when you're eating your higher carb foods, you're doing it on a day when you are very active, when you're moving around, when you're stimulating muscle stimulated glucose uptake, it's going to be a totally different response to an apple when you've been sitting on the couch all day versus when you've been walking around and moving during the day. So having that feedback with a glucose monitor can help you tweak even a very, very generally healthy diet to make sure you're not getting the collateral damage. So I found that for me in particular, a handful of grapes or even a pint of of blueberries by themselves, um, would put me up to a glucose of like 180, which is far too high for I never want to be really above 140 ever, but now, you know, I'll take the blueberries and I will put them in a unsweetened non-dairy yogurt, like a high fat cashew yogurt. And I'll put a ton of chia seeds on it. Maybe I'll swirl in some almond butter and that's fat protein and fiber. And I barely get any glucose spike. So it's that type of refining that I think is really, really helpful, even for, you know, a very, very healthy uh, baseline diet. Wow, and I, and I I love that because th- there's a part of me to be you know to be completely honest that doesn't like technology. The things yeah. like like technology is the problem, and being more me- mechanized and civilized and apart from nature is causing the problems in the first place. But that said, as you're talking about it, I'm mean, like, of course, eating sitting at your desk and eating a beautiful sweet potato, like that one of the healthiest foods you can eat is completely different from being a human forager, walking eight miles, digging up the roots, walking back, collecting firewood, starting a fire, waiting three hours for the fire to to heat up sufficiently so you can cook your sweet potatoes, and then eating it. It's like we, we talk about whole foods, but we're not talking about the whole experience. I think you just described that perfectly. Like I think of this as really metabolic context. Um, it is not just food that leads to our glucose uh, changing in the body. It Glucose is actually this centralizing metric that around it is food, food pairing, food timing, but also our stress management. When we're stressed, our liver actually produces glucose to help to help sort of feed us in a time of stress. But because most of our stresses these days are psychological in nature, we actually don't need that glucose in the bloodstream. You know, it's not like we're being chased by a lion. So that's very maladaptive. Um, Similarly, sleep deprivation causes increasing cortisol levels in the, in the blood and, and actually can cause us to, again, keep our, get our glucose high and lack of exercise, of course, is going to change our insulin sensitivity. And even one workout can improve our insulin sensitivity that day and the next day. And so you think about, okay, we've got sleep, stress management, exercise, food, food pairing, food timing, all these things make a difference. And in the face of a, and and then those are just the behavioral choices. There's also some of the other factors that go into it, like micronutrient status and our microbiome and our environmental toxins. So just to quickly go into those. So micronutrients, you know, things like we think a lot about macros, but actually micronutrients. So like zinc, manganese, magnesium, B vitamins, vitamin C, these are actually critical cofactors in our cells ability to process glucose and for the mitochondria in the cells to function microbiome uh, has been strongly correlated our microbiome composition with how we process glucose, our propensity to get diabetes or obesity, these different strains like firmicutes and back, um, bacteroides, uh, uh, they have been implicated, like the ratios of these in how we actually, um, uh, how our metabolism works. They actually, the microbiome produce short chain fatty acids and other chemicals that our body uses as metabolic, um, information. And then environmental toxins is another really interesting one that we don't talk about enough, which is basically like pesticides and other persistent organic pollutants in our air, water, 
um, and on our food can actually be really metabolic disruptors in the body and live in the fat and cause problems for a long time. So you've got all these behavioral things, you've got all these more longer term things like micronutrients, microbiome, environmental stuff. And the reality is our country, you know, there's 128 million Americans with diabetes or prediabetes. 74% of the country is overweight or obese. And a recent UNC study showed that 88% of adult Americans have at least one sign of metabolic dysfunction. So we have literally almost universal metabolic dysfunction in our country. And most of this stems from our Western culture, where we're eating a hundred times more refined sugar than we were 200 years ago, about 150 pounds per person these days. And we are exceedingly sedentary. The less than 5% of Americans get the amount of exercise they need to get per day. And muscle is our key glucose sink in the body. It's the key, you know, uh, organ, so to speak in the body that sucks up glucose and does it actually in an insulin independent way, just contracting your muscles can cause glucose to be taken up. So, so given all of this, you know, it's complex and the food culture, the lifestyle culture, the food marketing, um, what is put in stores and as marketed as healthy, like we're kind of up a Creek here. And I think having, I'm with you that technology is not, you know, I, I, I don't love technology either, to be honest, I'd like to be in the garden with my hands deep in the dirt and just like taking hikes and camping. But the reality is like, we are in a really bad position, given our culture and our marketing and having a little bit of recourse in that when 88% of the country is metabolic, metabolically dysfunctional is what I am passionate about. And I actually think we're going to see a boomerang effect where technology is going to actually help bring us back to body awareness, to getting close to the earth. Cause when you actually wear one of these things, and I've been wearing it for 18 months while building this company, you realize, Oh, it's all the basics. It's like really kind of getting back to ancestral living. That is what is going to be healthy for my body. It's walking. It's being in the forest. It's managing my stress. It's getting good sleep. It's moving all throughout the day. Um, and, and the longer term thing, it's getting my microbiome on point, which means being close to the earth eating food near to its original source, you know, getting the bacteria in your body, mm. it's micronutrients, which means whole foods. It means plants. Um, so I think you're going to see this, like, my hope is that we will see this boomerang effect where this data wakes people up and then gets back to a lot of the traditional, um, things that are so important for us. Yeah. And I, you know, and I don't want to be holier than thou because I know for myself, like I'm an environmentalist, like I believe in saving the environment. As soon as I got a car that told me instantaneously what my miles per gallon were, all of a sudden driving from point A to point B became secondary to the game of highest miles per gallon possible. Like, <laughs> like I'd be like, okay, that light just turned yellow. It's approximately three, you know, a quarter of a mile ahead. Like when should I ease up? <laughs> like, so I never have to hit the brake. Um, I know there's some really interesting studies, I think out of Holland around energy consumption and what happens when people are told to conserve energy or encouraged or even financially rewarded when the monitor, when the, when the, the meter is in the basement versus in the, in the front hallway. So I know for myself and we know from lots of studies that when you have feedback right in front of you, it's much easier to do the good thing. And of course, that's like, I'm a health coach. So the big challenge of a health coach is that Snickers bar or cheeseburger or pepperoni pizza makes you happy now. And there's a theoretical harm, a deficit in, at some point in the future, whether it's in 10 minutes when your stomach hurts or the, tomorrow when you're two pounds heavier or 10 years when you've got a virtually incurable chronic disease. But like, you know, we know from behavioral economics that we bias the present. Whatever is in front of us is more important than anything else. So I kind of, you know, like I really came into this thinking we were going to be talking about like type one diabetics and a kind of niche thing. And now I kind of want one. I kind of <laughs> oh want one of these monitors. Well, I think you just described a lot of why, why I shifted gears out of, I was a surgeon for for four and a half years. And I switched to digital health to create this product because I was realizing that, you know, in terms of things that could benefit the most people actually attacking metabolic disease was the best way to, I think, spend my time. And, mm -hmm. and the healthcare system is not doing a, a good job of fixing this. We're very medication and reactive focused and not proactive focused. And so um, empowering people with information really became my 
passion and it all comes down to the, and, and why I think I took this leap to do this is because I really believe what you're saying, which is that we as humans cognitively bias the present. We, if we think that something is sort of bringing us pleasure now, you know, that dopaminergic reward system in the brain is very, very powerful and very, very primal. And these foods that are marketed in, you know, as potentially healthy, like, and these processed foods that are filling our grocery stores, they are designed to take people to their bliss point in terms of their reward circuitry to, to literally hijack these, these primal, you know, evolutionary um, drives in our body to make people purchase and consume more of these foods and think they're making them happy. When in fact, blood sugar spikes and ultimately insulin resistant and metabolic disease actually are significantly associated with anxiety and depression. Um, and these foods don't make us happy long-term and we get decreasing reward when we eat them frequently because our receptors and our brain change, and we actually need more of them to get the same amount of pleasure. So what my, the thought is with this type of technology in the face of these realities, um, how do you actually change that pleasure equation where actually people gain pleasure, just like you did with your car and that game of the meter with actually achieving something in this immediate term, you know, like you eat something and five minutes later you see that it's causing harm. Right. And then I think what if, when, what if my life is a video game, <laughs> like I, I'm getting that kind of, you know, dings and bells and whistles and rewards and challenges like, I mean, you know, when I'm happy in life, essentially that's what's going on. Like I'm writing a book now. There are days when it's a terrible slog. There are days when it's, you know, but like I wake up every morning going like, this is, I have a goal and the rules are clear and the feedback is clear. And when I pay attention, I can, you know, like I'm optimizing my life in some way. And what you're saying is like, you, you can bring that gift to these really formerly opaque, incredibly complex interactions. Like, like, um, it's one thing I'm thinking, like, there's some, sorry, you've you got something to say. So I'm gonna, no, no, I'm, no, I think that's exactly right. And I think the video game thing is interesting. I think it's, um, we are living in a video game right now. I mean, we are, we have a digital world that is all consuming and we have a food culture that actually is designed to hijack our reward circuitry. So the question is like, which video game do you want to live in? Do you want to live <laughs> in one where you're being controlled or where you're actually making the choices? And, and that's sort of how I, how I see it. And I think when you couple coaching, especially, or more deep internal work with technology. So, you know, the average person, who's using like a product like levels, I think they are going to get some satisfaction from keeping their spikes down and getting, you know, rewarded for that, having a higher score, et cetera. They're going to learn, but imagine then when you couple that with someone, you know, like a coach or, or, or more mental health professional, really getting people to the root of like why they want to be healthy and why they want to live a better life and who they're doing that for and what the purpose is. And so, so you can really start coupling like your bigger picture goals in your life, you know, the, the value system that you have with, why you're doing what you're doing. And I think that's really, really powerful. Um, so I think you're going to get benefit even just by keeping the glucose spikes down and getting that, that, but I think also tying it to like, what is the purpose here? Why? And that's where education and how people understand, like these glucose spikes are going to lead to this type of life for you, probably more incapacitated, more dependent, more of a, you know, um, less happy, less healthy, et cetera. Well, from my perspective as a coach, I've become less and less and less interested in sort of motivation. Like you can teach someone that in like an hour and give it to them on an index card. What I find incredibly in- interesting about this is the big issue that coaches deal with is blind spots. So whether I'm coaching for nutrition or someone's behavior in the workplace, it's that they don't, they aren't getting feedback on, okay, every time you say that, Sally gets upset. And Sally's trying to be a stoic woman in the workplace to not, and so, you know, like, oh, but we can, I can see it. And my job is to help you see it. And what you're doing is holding up a mirror to, to, again, these incredibly complex interactions. So, you know, I I co-wrote a book um, seven years ago called Whole with T. Colin Campbell, which was all about like the incredible complexity and how we were never going to figure out nutrition just with sort of guidelines or pills. And that complexity in a way is a little bit um, discouraging. Like we could never know 
But but what you're doing with monitoring is we we don't have to argue. Like like the debates I've been involved in with you know the keto, the carnivore, the paleo, the Mediterranean, the, you know these debates are so incredibly unsatisfying. It's like you're watching the Olympics hundred meter dash, and like the ten fastest people in the world are arguing about who should win. I love that metaphor. That's really yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. Right when you're saying strap the thing on and you can decide for yourself. You don't like, that's the thing I hear. So, but with people who are like unsophisticated about nutrition, who are just like, I'm so confused. First red wine is good. Then it's bad. Oatmeal is good. Coffee is good. Chocolate is good. Fats are olive oil. I shouldn't right? Oh, well. And they give up because they don't have a reliable source that they can trust. And all of a sudden you're giving people something on their arm that gives them like a really, the end of one, that's the only end that matters to them. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I think it's, it's almost like poor information, I think, and lack of transparency breeds tribalism in a lot of ways. It's almost like what we saw with the election. It's like fake news and sensationalist media just, and, and, and shuttling certain types of information to certain people through our digital algorithms, like led to what was a remarkable level of polarization. And I think we're kind of seeing that with nutrition as well. I mean, it, it, it's incredible how heated things are getting in terms of the nutrition space, um, heated and personal. And so to me, it is just like very in, intoxicating that we actually could potentially rise above that by giving people real information about their own bodies. If someone's telling you, this is the right thing to eat, this is what the studies say, you have to eat this, and then you eat it, and it sends your blood glucose to 200, that is not, there is no longer a debate. There is, there is actually no debate. You cannot fight about that. That person should not be eating that food in that way. Um, so yeah. And I think as a physician too, I've had so many conversations with patients, just like you said, where it's just like, I'm so confused. I don't know why things aren't working. Like for instance, with weight loss or something like that. Well, with weight loss, you know, we know that to burn fat, you have to keep your insulin down. Insulin blocks fat burning. And in our culture, insulin is essentially always high because we are insulin is, you know, released after, uh, the blood glucose rises to help take glucose into the cells. And we've been told, you know, we should eat six small meals a day. And the majority of calories that people are getting in the U S come from refined sugar and carbohydrates. So we never have really a moment during the day, except maybe at the end of sleep where our, our insulin actually comes down enough to burn fat. So imagine then putting a clue and then someone's, you know, eating a pretty healthy diet, but they're not losing weight and they're very confused. And it's very frustrating. It creates a tension between the doctor and the patient because the doctor's recommendations aren't working and all of this stuff happens. Well, then imagine putting a glucose monitor on that person and they see that like all this stuff they're eating that they thought was healthy actually is causing these glucose spikes throughout the day. And they just need to make some tweaks to get that lower. And then, you know, you're talking about the data then in the visit, not necessarily just like the struggle and the confusion and this and that. Um, and, I think another thing is uh, you said blind spots. And actually that reminded me, there are also just a lot of blind spots in nutrition. So not only just like food that may work for one person's body, but doesn't work for yours. Like you and I could both eat a banana and it might cause a huge glucose response in me and no glucose response in you. And that has been well studied that actually people have very different responses to the same carbohydrate source. And a lot of that has to do with our microbiome composition and how we process the food. The second thing is hidden ingredients. Like there's over 50 names for sugar and they're hidden in these foods. They're now in peanut butter. It's in ketchup. It's in salad dressings. It's in whole grain bread. You can find like four grams of sugar in a single slice of bread. Sometimes it's, it's, it's crazy to me because it actually doesn't taste better, but we are wired to expect it now. Mm -hmm. And so that type of blind spot as well, where a, a patient might really be doing everything they can, but they put a little bit of ketchup on their, you know, whatever their sweet potato, but you know, and, and, and then they get this huge glucose response that they were not aware of because they thought they were eating something healthy. That's something that can really be helpful, I think as well. So yeah, I, I want to see technology used in the right way, help bring us out of this sort of like polarized tribalism, this dependence on looking at marketing or people's claims for understanding our bodies and to actually shift people towards what I consider just radical personal empowerment, where it's like, 
I know the, I know what's right for me and I'm going to make a choice or I'm not going to make a choice, but I know, and I'm making the choice. It's less paternalistic. It's less being Mm -hmm. told it's less reactive. It's, it's proactive and it's empowered. And when people feel empowered about things that have notoriously been very difficult in their life, which nutrition for the majority of Americans is difficult. Um, I think that actually can bleed into other parts of life. I think that when you have agency in something like that, it, 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 it can actually have wide reaching effects. And so that's, that's why I, even though I am someone who would like to be outside in the garden and camping and this and that, I, I think there's a role for technology when used in a, in a thoughtful way for this type of thing. Right. So I love what you're saying. And there's a little part of my brain that wants to nitpick a little bit or, or, object, or, or object, which, which is the idea, like you're talking about individual empowerment and I'm, I'm concerned about the focus on the individual. So I would kind of like to see your glucose monitor also have a carbon footprint monitor so that I could see how much, what I'm eating is, okay, so maybe it's good for me, but it's destroying a wider ecosystem. Like I'm a little nervous about just optimizing for me, you know, in in a world in which you say where there's so much tribalism, so much fragmentation, and the more scarcity there is, the more fight or flight we go into, the more we are fighting with each other for scarce resources, as opposed to being communitarian. Yeah, well, big picture, the awesome thing is, is that when people's metabolic health is optimal, it's associated with making choices that are good for the environment. And so what I mean by that is, well, pesticides, for instance, hurt our microbiome and they actually are metabolic disruptors. So if we really were able to take this and get people to really think holistically about their diet, they'd be eating foods with no pesticides, chemicals uh, on them. Additionally, antibiotics kill our microbiome, you know, hurt our, hurt our microbial diversity. And they, that is going to affect our metabolic health. So, okay. If people are eating meat that takes antibiotic, uh, you know, injected animals and milk off the table. So now we're getting into, to better, you know, uh, uh, animal raising practices. And we also know that micronutrients are made in large part by the bacteria in the soil. And right now we're having a huge crisis environmentally with our soil depletion. Um, and it's basically our soils turning into this like sterile dirt that is not going to, and our food is becoming less nutrient dense because of that. Um, and that's because of our, you know, terrible monocropping pesticide riddled, you know, farming practices and the way our farm bill in the U S actually promotes this type of unsustainable farming. Well, if we think through the lens of metabolic health, you know, we need those nutrients, we need the bacteria. And so let's say, and and this is going to be on the individual day-to-day level. This is not like what our app is telling people, but if you think bigger picture to actually get Mm -hmm. to the end goal that you want with metabolic health, you actually have to make the choices that are better for the environment. You need to be eating whole foods that aren't covered in crap that come from soil that had a really good microbial diversity in it. You need to be moving, which means not on your scooter or in your car or stuck to your TV. Um, and, and so I actually think it's very aligned and that's difficult to build into a digital product, but it is very mm-hmm. much as the chief medical officer of the company and someone who is very environmentally focused and who is whole foods plant-based, it's very much in, in my sphere of what I'm thinking about for like, I, I do think if everyone were achieved metabolic health, it would require that we're actually making decisions that are good for the environment. So so you're you're saying that health is holographic, that, that actually there's, it's impossible to be truly selfish. If you're, if you're seeking real health, you have to be in to shift your environment, to be supportive of, of all life. That is absolutely true. And I love the way you said that. And I think it also comes down to uh, personal actions because when we are stressed or in conflict or tired, um, or we're going to have poor metabolic health, like food is not sufficient to generate metabolic health. You also have to have the, the psychological, the cortisol, the stress, all this stuff, manage the sleep. And so if you're having to stress manage and sleep to, to get this glucose reading to be optimal and to achieve optimal metabolic health, that's also going to impact people around you in a positive way. We, we know that when we're stressed or sleep deprived, we are not going to be able to be as emotionally regulated. We're going to be more emotionally labile. We're going to make poor decisions, poor judgment. Um, and so from that standpoint, not just the environment, but how we're treating other people, um, you know, that's, that's also something that, 
goes part and parcel with achieving this thing, this individual metabolic health, which actually will result in you probably being a better person. Um, so, yeah. So you were so happy to receive my last objection. I want to give you my next one, <laughs> which is, um, so right now I'm writing, I'm writing an article on recycling. So that's, it's in my head. Like recycling is basically a scam to put the, the onus on individuals to fix what is really a systemic problem. And I'm wondering if that's partly true here as well. So when you talk about things like soil health, like eating things without pesticides, like how can most people, like you can't choose that. Some people can, but like, can the, do you see this as maybe sparking some sort of social awareness or revolution or like, you know, Kaiser Health saying, hey, we, you know, we're going to save money if we get 30% of the farmers in, in the Sonoma Valley to go organic? Like, do you see this as having a, a political arm as well as just individuals optimizing for themselves? Yeah. I mean, I see this part and parcel with politics. And when I left surgery and I was deciding, well, how am I going to, how am I going to end metabolic dysfunction in the U S which I know is a lofty goal, but that's kind of, I mean, you know, we have one life and that's kind of what I'm trying to do. And it's like, well, I had a huge whiteboard and it's like, I could become a politician. I could lobby for different farm bills. I could lobby for, you know, regulations on Monsanto. I could, uh, lobby for changing our school lunches. I could lobby for um, changing the way that we spend SNAP and WIC funding. You know, you, our, you'd our be food. really good at that, actually. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but it's like those are all ways that you could have the downstream effect of improving people's health. You know, or you could put you'd have more regulations on food marketing. And I, I literally was like, there are so many ways to do this. You could also change the hospital system. You could change hospital reimbursement push towards a value-based care system as opposed to a fee-for-service system. You know, value in healthcare is outcomes over cost and nutrition is one of the highest value interventions. As we move towards a value-based care system, um, we, we might move towards prevention more than reactive stuff like medication and that might shift things. And then I was like, but there's also, that's all like top down. There also is the bottom up side of this. And as sort of someone who's a little bit libertarian leaning, I, and doesn't want to just like create more control mechanisms that have unforeseen consequences. What happens when you actually just allow people to make better decisions? Well, there's a lot of examples throughout history where that changes, you know, consumer decision-making and like, you know, this free market economy means that when people want something and demand it, the market will shift to accommodate that. And so if people are saying, I'm not going to drink Coke anymore because it's, it's hurting me. Coke will create a new product. And I don't actually, and they are, that is actually happening right now. I mean, Coke, these the sales of these are down because people are becoming more aware of this and they're, they're shifting. Um, I don't think they're necessarily going to make something that's healthier, but um, you, what you see what I'm saying that like, and this is kind of what's happened with the vegan movement. You know, there was literally no non-dairy milks in the market. Um, and it's not that anyone from up high told the, the, vegan, the, the, the companies to make more vegan milks. People demanded more vegan products. They were buying more vegan products. And so the companies like changed. So I think there's so many different ways to approach the issue and all of them need to happen in parallel. But I think a, a part we should not forget is that people's consumer decision-making, which is based on how they feel about themselves, what they understand about their bodies, what they want, um, is going to drive, I think, a lot of changes. It, people will also demand different things from their doctors. You know, if you if if people are more aware of what's happening right now, to to know if you have a metabolic problem, you know, sure you could look at the scale, and if you're overweight or obese, you almost certainly have some element of insulin resistance, and um, probably ha or have some underlying metabolic problem. You're storing too much fat; that's a metabolic problem. But for the average person, they're not thinking that way. They're waiting to go into the doctor's office and have them tell them, oh, your fasting glucose is in the normal pre-diabetic or diabetic range. It's crazy to me that we have tools these days that actually could tell us every day where we stand on that spectrum. And yet we're still waiting for eight months, a year, two years to walk in and have this unveiling of something that is mm -hmm. something we have impact. We could have an impact on every single day. That, that to me is absolutely crazy. And in that 15 minute visit, the doctor might say, oh, you should eat healthy and exercise more, which is not useful. Um, and so yeah, it's, like, it's yeah. like, um, you know, um, your, the, the pipes under your house are going to crack and freeze because your air condition, your heater system is broken, but 
the plumber isn't going to fix your heating system. They're going to wait till your pipe cracks. Like doctors don't know how to intervene behaviorally. They're really good at prescribing. So for them, it doesn't make it makes sense to wait until you have a clinically significant diagnosis that they can then do something about. Right. But imagine, I think if we change the economics a little bit of healthcare, where people actually were being, re- doctors were being reimbursed more for outcomes than just for doing. Um, so moving towards this value-based from fee-based system, uh, fee-for-service versus value-based, what I think we would see very rapidly is that because outcomes are tied to our compensation, I think medical school curriculums would change overnight. And I think we'd go from having 10 hours of nutrition in four years to having 200 hours of nutrition, because that would be a lever that people can pull to actually, you know, become reimbursed. Um, and so I, I do think that these, there's a lot of, um, dependencies in this. And, and so, and one of them is sort of people's awareness and knowledge and what they're, what they're asking for and what they're willing to, to pay for. And so, so that's the starting point where, where we're kind of coming from, but also working in parallel, you know, as a company to help educate and and spread awareness about some of these other more systems issues that we should absolutely be thinking about. Gotcha. All right. Well, I feel like I'm 0 for 4 in objections. You have you have defeated all of them. So I'm going to give you one more. And okay. in, in this, I'm, I'm um, channeling some of my listeners who have been hanging on to this point because you're so articulate and you make so much sense and you have so much good energy. But you said something that bothered them right at the beginning, which was, well, we don't know for if everyone should we don't we don't know that everyone should be on a vegan or vegetarian or keto diet. And there are people who are thinking, what if people put this thing on and they start eating meat and they find out that meat's better for them. And, you know, this is, I'm, I'm a, this is a plant-based podcast. I'm not, um, you know, I don't preach anything in particular, but there is that concern. And I heard it in my own head as well. What's. And actually it's funny. I hear it in my own head as well too. And I think this is actually a question that in some sense keeps me up at night because because I, you know, I am plant-based. I understand the power of plants. Um, you know, I'm at the plant-based nutrition and healthcare conference every year. Like this is, I live and breathe this stuff. And I, I think the challenge is actually, you know, you is education is helping people understand the complexity and the nuances of nutrition in a way that's accessible. So I've got a number of posts on my social media and, and whatnot about this, but basically the way I see it is Yes. If you eat meat, when you put your, you might put your continuous glucose monitor on and eat your vegan diet and see all these crazy spikes, beans, you go up, sweet potatoes, you go up this. And and it's like, Holy moly, this is not working for my body. And then let's say the next day you're like, I'm going to eat all carnivore. I'm going to eat all meat. And your glucose is like flat. It's like, nothing's happening. The way I like to put that is that that is not actually winning the game. Okay. Cause that's not playing the game. When you don't put glucose into the body, you're not going to have a glucose spike. That is true. And meat doesn't have glucose in it, but that means you didn't even show up. Like you didn't even play. What I'm trying to do is help people build a body that processes glucose and carbohydrates properly. Mm. That means improving insulin sensitivity, which means improving our micronutrient status, improving our microbiome, making sure we're physically active, making sure we're managing our stress, making sure we're sleeping well, and making sure we're choosing to pair and time foods properly so that we're not getting as much of a glycemic impact. That is, that is playing the game. That means that if you eat a sweet potato properly, you still have a flat and glucose spike, you know, you still have a flat glucose curve that's showing up and actually having a met a body that's processing it properly. So I, you know, certainly all refined sugar and carbohydrates should, I think for every person throw them out there. Nobody needs refined sugar and carbohydrates, but our body does thrive on some carbohydrates. And for me who eats a lot of carbohydrates, my glucose is still flat and stable because I've learned how to do this. So Mm. I, I like to sort of position the carnivore and the keto, like there's useful principles we can actually take from those diets in the sense that like, yes, having low glucose does keep your glucose down, but there are ways to think more nuanced about it, building a context, building a body that actually processes carbohydrates. That's the long game. So, you know, there's risk though, with this you know product like this, that everyone would just say like, well, I'm just going to drink 
red wine and beef, because both of those things don't spike glucose. That's not, I think, over the long term going to generate a body right. that is metabolically well, healthy. It's going to make I, you think that you have low glucose, but that's not necessarily the end game. The end game is metabolic health and insulin sensitivity. So yeah, I don't know if you've seen the the show Silicon Valley. Of course, yes. <laughs> so so when they 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 try to get the AI to create the code that eliminates the bugs, and it does so by erasing all the code. <laughs> so that's kind of I what it reminds me. See that episode? That's so good. <laughs> that's kind of what it reminds me of. That said, like, okay, I can I can manage my glucose really really well. It's, you know, the the other metaphor I, I like to use here because it's so disgusting is like you have my I have a guest bathroom and the toilet's blocked and I keep the water in the tank in the in the bowl pure by not letting people use it yeah as opposed to fixing the pipes fixing the pipes getting you know people right. in you know, reducing insulin resistance through uh you know reducing intermyocellular lipid fats and stuff right. like that um but one other thing I would just say is like, while I am plant-based and I'm very much a part of this, the movement, you know, and I'm, I think that something that has, you know, and I, this will probably sound a little controversial, but I do think this has opened me up a little bit more to, you know, thinking, okay, well, I think this is the right diet for me and for my patients. There is probably room for different diets for some different people. And imagine if we had continuous monitors for every important biomarker, you know, for inflammation, for cholesterol, for insulin, for glucose, for oxidative stress markers. And let's say someone's on a carnivore diet and for whatever biochemical reason, everything is identical to, and microbiome, we're testing microbiome daily. Let's say they do that. And for whatever reason, because of biochemistry, I don't think this would happen, that all the markers are exactly the same. And let's say they are eating only, you know, nose to tail meat that was raised sustainably, humanely in a way that's, you know, carbon neutral, whatever, all this stuff, it would make me step back and say, you know, like, okay, like if everything, their antioxidants, microbiome, everything is exactly the same, they're thriving and doing and healthy. Like that's good information to know. One thing that's a problem with nutrition is that we don't test people in this way. We don't actually know long-term how these diets are affecting people. Um, but all I'm trying to say is that I do think increased like data and monitoring will maybe help us. I don't want it to further polarize me, but, but I I'm, I'm trying to keep an open mind about nutrition because nutrition data and science is very flawed in a lot of ways. Um, I think plant-based has such strong evidence for it both mechanistically mm. and epidemiologically. Mm. But I just, mm. I, I, I guess I don't want to further entrench the polarization and say, I, I am going to continue to follow um, some of the data. None of that changes anything about the animal harm aspect of things, which I think is very important. But there are a lot of people in the sustainable meat world, people like Mark Hyman, um, who do feel like actually, you know, ra raising animals in a sustainable way can be actually healthy for our soil and our environment. So all of that is just to say, I am personally trying to stay somewhat open-minded as we learn more while still very much adhering to what I think is the most sustainable, ethical, and healthy diet. Right. Well, you know, your, your carnivore with perfect um, biometrics is like someone who goes to Las Vegas, puts a bet on the worst odds in craps, and wins because of a lucky dice throw, Right. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that on the aggregate, that's the bet to make. So I think if, if, if we have a large number of people with glucose monitoring, I think you can say, regardless of what it tells an individual to do, it will certainly reduce the societal consumption of meat um, and certainly of low quality factory farmed pesticide and antibiotic laden meat. I think over the long term, if people, if everyone used this over the long term, and I think we would see people moving towards more whole foods, much healthier types of quality of food, because you'd see that that over time has a has a positive impact. But yeah, to to predict really how how things will turn out, I think is very challenging. But I, you know, I think it's it's just very important every day as you're building a product to have all of these things in mind because it's it's you know the quick win of I ate meat and my glucose is low is not obviously, you know, 
having people orient around that is could have some unforeseen issues. And so having making sure that the education and the holistic understanding of what goes into this is super engaging for people. So they really understand the different, the multivariate model of this, of this glucose readout. I think that's the challenge. And that's certainly something as we're thinking about very, very deeply um, as a company. Well, and what I really love about this and the the way this information um, interacts with the tribalism and with the debates is that it kind of um, undermines my confirmation bias. If I, if I want to, if I want to consider myself a person based in reality. So like when you hear, when I hear debates, public debates about, you know, vegan versus not vegan, they're of terrible quality in terms like they're each bringing their own studies. They're not talking to each other. And I learn nothing as opposed to saying like, Hey, let's look at the data themselves and see what's actually happening and build our theories upon data rather than going out and finding data, selecting data and funding what we think will be data that supports what we already believe. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, having having conversations based on real information is is always <laughs> always the best. Um, you know, it just takes a lot of the emotionality out of it and the subjectivity. So so um, I'm, as, a, as a behavioral coach, I'm real curious about how you could pair this output data with input data, which is like, you know, I find people are very foggy about what did I eat today or did I exercise or did I get a bad night's sleep two nights ago and it's catchy, like it's still complex. How do you help people find patterns? That's a great question. So our, our app right now takes in obviously the glucose data stream, but also takes in uh, heart rate and sleep data. So, uh, so people log their food manually and logging is really easy. And we try and make it as fun as possible. And people are very incentivized to log actually, because if you don't log, you get like a very nice package at the end of two hours. If you have logged your food, you have your photo, you say what you ate, and then you have a score, you have, see your curve, you, you see all these metrics. So, so it actually is very, it get logging is uh, people enjoy logging because you actually get this sort of like benefit from it. You get this great image of like what happened over the two hours after your meal and a score and all this stuff. So, so food logging is manual um, heart rate data and sleep data allows us to see relationships between activity and glucose, but also sleep and glucose. And then over time, you can tell people things, you know, like when you get less sleep each night, we see this higher percentage, you know, your average glucose is X percent higher. Um, When you walk, you know, this much time per day, we happen to find that your average glucose is this much lower. So having those other input variables, I think is really, really important. And the sky is kind of the limit. We could, you know, I'd love to bring in heart rate variability monitoring as well as an objective measure of stress um, and really start to parse out for people like, hey, this is your glucose today. X percent was because of your sleep. Y percent was due to your stress. Z percent was due to your lack of physical activity. And these are the meals that have the most impact on you and ingredients you should probably be avoiding. Like that's kind of the where we're moving. Um, and gotcha. yeah. So are are there privacy concerns? Because I've seen like there are, you know, like apps that will tell, will, will report to people your heart rate and like people have been caught cheating on their spouse because their heart rate suddenly elevates at 3 a.m. for 25 minutes. Like, do you, you know, do you think about that or build with, with that in mind as we're, as we're approaching such a big data world? Yeah. I mean, we certainly think about that as a data company and, you know, we work with a number of academic universities doing research as well. And so data privacy is of utmost uh, concern. So, um, you know, so, so these days from the back end, you know, security of data is of paramount importance for a company uh, like ours, you know, how people if people leave their app out and their spouse sees it on the table, that's not something we can actually control, but, um, but certainly from the data security and keeping it um, secure on the back end, that is, you know, critically important. So. Uh, So, so let's just describe the, the thing itself. So like, does it, um, 
penetrate the skin? Does it sit on top? Like what, what, what is it like? Do you keep it on all the time? Do you take it off to shower? Like what, how, how, what is living with it? Like, yeah. So it, you, you basically just forget it's there. Um, oftentimes I'll like touch my arm to even like, I'm like, do I have it on right now? But, um, basically it's a, it's the size of two quarters stacked on top of each other. So it's very low profile and, and small. And there's a four millimeter, like hair, like filament that comes out of it, like a little bit of fishing line, um, that actually does go under the skin. And so it's actually put on with an applicator that does have a needle, which for whatever reason is 100% painless. You do not feel it going in. It pushes the little hair like filament in and it takes, it's like a millisecond or less. And you, no one, no one feels it basically. It's kind of incredible. Um, and then it sits on your arm. There's an adhesive on the bottom of those little quarters that uh, sticks it to your arm for two weeks. And so, uh, yeah, it's just, all you see is the, the white, quarter size thing on the back of your arm. And then underneath the skin is a four millimeter, just like hair, like filament that is covered in an enzyme called glucose oxidase that takes glucose and converts it to byproducts that include hydrogen peroxide. And that hydrogen peroxide creates an electrical signal that is transmitted. That's the data. And then that gets transferred to your smartphone. So it's, it's amazing. I mean, you can shower, you can work out, uh, you can lay on it. You just, it's, it just Mm -hmm. lives there. Gotcha. All right. So my, my final question is, how do I get one? And, and more generally, like, is this a FDA approved, you know, prescription product? Is it consumer? Are you thinking of partnering? Like where, what, what's available now and what's your roadmap? Yeah. So it is an FDA approved device and it is prescription only. So right now in the U S they're, they're FDA approved for type one and two type type one and type two diabetes management. So what our company is doing is bringing this to the mainstream for people just looking for more of the wellness pe- purpose of this as a biofeedback tool. So um, so anyone without diabetes uh, can basically become a customer. And what happens is they, adults, I should mention too, above 18 years of age, um, when you become a customer, you basically sign up for a one month metabolic awareness journey. And what that involves is a telemedicine consultation. So you actually will fill out a form, a doctor will review it, if you're approved for a continuous glucose monitor, our partner pharmacy will ship those to you and they'll ship you a month's worth of sensors, which is two sensors because they each last for two weeks. Um, and then in there you get, you know, uh, awesome covers for the sensors that are, that, that keep them really stuck on. Um, and then access to the app, the levels app. So that's really what our core competency is, is building the, the software overlay to this, but it's this three-part program of, uh, physician consultation sensors and, uh, the software. And so right now, uh, if people wanted to do that, they'd go to levelshealth.com and then sign up for early access. We're actually in a closed beta program right now. Um, and so we're taking, uh, there is a wait list right now, um, but we're, we're, we're moving through that, um, rapidly. So definitely sign up and, uh, and, uh, you'll, if you do sign up for the, the wait list, um, you'll be on our newsletter and we're putting out lots of really high quality content about these topics. Um, so we'd love to hear from people and get connected. Right. So in, in another irony of the system, the people for whom it could be preventive have to pay out of pocket and the people who are already sick can get it covered by insurance. That is correct. Hopefully not for long, but yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, um, when I, you know, my first uh, foray into um, biometric monitor, self-monitoring was a heart rate monitor. Um, when I, you know, for when I ran, it was a chest strap attached to a watch and it was really, really cool for about a month. And after that, I didn't need it. Mm. Like, cause I knew, is this similar? Like after you've been doing this for six months or a year or 18 months or two years, you're like, okay, I got it. I'm dialed in. Or would you encourage people to wear it their whole lives? Well, our core program is focused around one month because I think you can really derive a ton of insights in one month about how to pair foods properly, time foods properly, how to use other things in your metabolic toolbox to keep glucose stable. So, you know, exercise, sleep, stress management, et cetera. So one month, I think you get a lot of gains, but there, you know, are certainly a lot of people who like to do it for longer. Like I said, I've been wearing one for 18 months and I'm still learning. And so I think it's, it's great wearing long-term, but I think because of cost right now, it's, it's unsustainable for a lot of people to do this month after month after month. But I think costs will come down as these hardware companies see more of a demand for this, I do think costs will come down rapidly. And I think it'll be more amenable to a 
subscription type product, but, um, but we do have a number of, a number of members who, who do this month after month. Um, the, the cost after the first month is half the price of the first month. So, um, so, but I do think there's kind of two phases to using something like this and all wearables really. The first is like the rapid awareness and learning phase where you're gaining all these insights and experimenting and, and sort of figuring things out with your data. Then you move into that kind of starts, I think, declining a little bit as you really learn what works for you. And then what kind of the value it comes in accountability. So staying mm-hmm. on track. So for me now, I know that it's less about like, figuring out what to eat and more about just wanting to keep in range all the time. And there's sometimes a few days in between sensors where I don't put one on and just don't have it on for whatever reason. And I, I know even for myself, I make different choices when I don't have my sensor on because I'm Uh not going to have any of that negative feedback. And so, you know, for instance, rice crackers, I love them. They send my glucose way up. I put avocado on them and tahini to help buffer it. They still raise my glucose the only time I eat rice cakes is when I don't have my sensor on. And so it's just funny, you know, to how the brain works. And um, so I think awareness really is the front end and then accountability is, is the long, one of the long-term benefits of it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Beautiful. So tell, tell us the website again, clear, slowly and clearly. So people who are not going to look at the show notes can find it. It's levelshealth.com. So L-E-V-E-L-S health.com. And our blog is just levelshealth.com slash blog. And we're on Instagram and Twitter at levels. And we put like, we, it's really fun to actually follow, I think our social, because so many people are doing experiments with their glucose monitors. And you can really start to see all these different members, like what they're learning. And, and it's very, it's fascinating to see, Mm. you know, people comparing this was an apple with a walk. This was an apple without a walk. This is what happened. So, uh, and then I'm at, I'm at Dr. Casey's kitchen on Instagram and I talk a lot about plant-based metabolic health. So I uh, would love to hear from anyone. Awesome. Okay. I'll include links to all that in the show notes, which will be plantyourself.com slash four, four, three. Okay. Um, so Dr. Casey means, thank you so much. This is this has been so much more interesting than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I, I kind of thought we were going to be having discussions about, you know, well, much. I didn't think it was going to be so exciting and, and politically aware and socially and behaviorally. Like, oh, well, thank you. I've, I loved our conversation and I really appreciate that. And I so appreciate you having me on. It's wonderful to be connected. Yeah, let's let's stay in touch. Um, I'll let me know when you know there's a podcaster's beta to, yes. to, to strap in. You had you had me at doesn't hurt. <laughs> yeah, it's it, the first time. It's a little scary to put on, but then after that, it, everyone usually starts laughing after they put it on because they were nervous and it, it it's nothing. So uh, yeah, we can jump on Zoom if you're nervous and, uh, yeah. and, and put it on together. So uh, yeah, we'll definitely get you in the beta program. Awesome. Thank you so much. Best of luck. And thank you for all you're doing for the world and for taking the time today. Thank you so much. All right. I'm convinced. I hope you are too. Hey, if you want to watch our conversation, we YouTubed it. So you can find that at plantyourself.com slash 443, where you can also find links to the Levels blog. And that link I told you about where if you want to jump across 60,000 people and go to the front of the line, uh, you can do that as well. All right. So let's see what's going on in the world. I want I got some good running news. I decided that running on the road is no longer okay for my legs, at least until I get, you know, some kind of embarrassingly thick soled sneakers, which I really don't want to buy. So I drove half an hour to run on the tobacco trail in um, Wake County, North Carolina. It's a sort of a crushed gravel trail. And I decided I'm going to take it real easy and do whatever. And I ended up wanting to run eight miles. It was just a little over a 10 minute per mile pace. So it felt so good to sort of easily do that increased distance and that increased speed compared to what I've been doing on the road, which is sort of six miles as a struggle. So it feels like um, terrain matters. So I'm gonna have to get in the car and go places so that I can I can find more trails to run. Um, Garden news, God, the garden's a, a mud pit. Uh, it's just been raining nonstop, so hopefully it'll start clearing out. And we can uh, we can get to our little kale patch without uh, those squishy sounds of boots. 
Um, let's see what else is going on. I signed up for uh, back to movement. Um, I signed up for a month with the Monkey Bar Gym online. This is my friend John Hines, whom I hadn't thought of in a little while, but I was reading T. Colin Campbell's latest book written with his grandson, Nelson Disla, called The Future of Nutrition. And, and there on page 115 was a footnote mentioning John Hines' work as the only uh, plant-based gym chain. And so I contacted him. We had a chat and he told me what he was up to. And there's a um, an online. They've closed their, their brick and mortars, but they've got a really robust online program. So I'm trying that out and I will let you know what I think. All right, time for thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenauer.com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Brittany Porter, Dominic Maurer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatterley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Tina Scharf, Tina Ahern, Jen Filkonofsky, David Bizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Leia Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Landry, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Kelly Cameron, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franza, Jeanette Benham, Gila Sert, David Donahue, Blair Cyborg, Dorona Vizov, Gio and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesner, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, Aviva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Val Lineman, Nick Harper, Bandana Chawley, Molly Levine, The Inscrutable, Harry R., Susan Laverty, The Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Sharon Hirschman, Linda Ayad, Holm Hedegaard, Isa Tuzinwa, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olikoski of Plant Power for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Morani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Ann Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Peter W. Evans, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Emily Iconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McAtee, Dan Picorni, Stephen Leenan, Patty DiMartino, Mike and Donna Kartz, Deanne Bishop, Billbury Elf, Marjorie Lewis, Trisha Adams, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bayshore, Gunmarit Hagen, Tracy Gulledge, Laura Heaton, Meg for Mama Says, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Paranganchi. Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt, Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught of Edible Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sagar Nayak, Erica Piedra, Danielle Roberts, Michael Lushton, Sarah Johnson, Catherine Floyd, for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for now. As always, be well, my friends. 